Everyone, I want to welcome you guys to church today here at Rock Fellowship. Whether this is your first time or you're always here, we're so blessed and thankful and honored that you would spend this time with us. And if you're watching online, I'm so grateful for your time as well. Um, so I, we were totally surprised by that little thingy. Um, I didn't know, and I was like outside trying to bring people in and Hurry up, come, 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 come. But, you know, as I think about a day or a month called, you know, called Pastor's Appreciation, um, I feel like it's kind of like the first birthday of a child where really you should not be celebrating the child on their first birthday. You know what I'm saying? You should be celebrating the parents, right? What did the child do to get to year one? Nothing. It was all about the parents. We should be celebrating the parents on the kid's first birthday. And in the same way, I feel like pastor's appreciation, it should really be a celebration of you because of what you all do and your support and everything that you do for the church. Pastor Jonathan and I, like, we could not do anything without you. So I want to kind of just throw back the appreciation to the church. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that t- today as I end today's message. But I'm so thankful to be a part of this church and to be in this place. So thank you so much for that. Um, and, and with that, with being a, at a church that is so great and so wonderful with so many amazing members, uh, so many times, I know Pastor Jonathan and myself, we feel inspired by you, actually. A lot of you guys in what you do and who you are and your and how you take Jesus seriously, it inspires us. And today's message really comes from a place of me being inspired by many of you. Um, so last week, we had this amazing communion service. You remember that? What a blessing, right? We had, uh, it was uh, kind of different than the normal communion service, but we had Ann and Tamar share their testimony, and we had Brett share his testimony as well. And something that they were talking about, especially Brett mentioned uh, uh, this, the power of the testimony and sharing the story, and as, as we were so blessed with that, uh, and, and before I actually, before I actually get into what I'm going to talk about today, I want you to know like the backstory behind this. Okay, so um, as we were preparing for that weekend uh, a couple a month ago or so, we didn't have a speaker. Actually, we didn't have a speaker, and I asked a bunch of people, and things fell through. And so I asked one of our one of our, you know, like rotating speakers within the church, and I talked to Ernie about this. And so this is kind of what happened. All right, I texted Ernie. This is my text. You guys see that on the screen? Can you guys read that? It says, October 9. Hey, Ernie, I know short notice, but I was wondering if you'd be able to preach October 21. Okay? And then if you guys notice that, there's no reply. <laughs> I was like, okay, passive aggressive, but okay. All right, clearly Ernie doesn't want to preach. And so I remember talking to Ed. I was like, hey, we don't have a speaker. Can you figure out something? And it's like, got it, got it. And then I hear from Pastor Jonathan, there was miscommunication, there's some confusion because Ernie thought he was speaking. And I was like, dude, Ernie, you I was thinking in my mind, I didn't say this to Ernie, I was thinking in my mind, you can't just like not reply to me and then assume that like you're going to do it, right? And then I talked to Ernie and he's like, wait, 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 wait. That's not what happened. What are you talking about? And then he sends me and shows me a screenshot of his conversation. And then it says my thing and then it says, okay. This is two hours later. I don't know if you can read this. Okay, things have been swirling in my head lately. I hope the Spirit can use this to communicate his message. Two hours later. And this is not iPhone, Android incompatibilities. He's got an iPhone now, right? So he's seen the light, and now he's, we're in the light together, and the light should have come, and it should have been boom. And then that didn't work, and then we had our amazing communion. And so we were talking about this, and we're convinced God blocked this text in order for 
the testimonies to be shared last week because it was so, so powerful, right? Like, for real. Like, I believe that God was like, nope, not this time. Ernie, you're doing next time, you know? And you got a message on, on reserve now, so we're good. Um, but it, it was so cool. I felt like it was really spirit-led in the way that the whole thing went. And so I was inspired to come here today and share with you my testimony. And so today's not really a sermon. It's just my story. And I know there's a lot of newer people in this church, and you've, you might not have heard this. Um, and for those of you guys who were at First Friday at the beginning of October, you heard most of this. Um, but there's going to be some additional things that I'm going to add to this story. But I'm going to share my testimony. And there was another member who talked to me about this and after First Friday and said, Pastor, you should share this with the church. Like, I think a lot of people maybe heard bits and pieces, but you've never shared it in the whole story. So I feel like you should do it. So this is really a product of me being inspired by you and your thoughts, and, and, and so that's where this is coming from. Now, before we get into today's story and my testimony, uh, I do want to preview what's coming up next. So we are starting a new series next week, and it's going to run for about four to five weeks, and um, here's, the, uh, here's the graphic and the sermon series for next week. It's called Idols. And for the podcast audience who may not be able to see, the S is a dollar sign. Now, there are some of you who are like, oh, no, I think I'm going to be sick next week, or I think I'm going on vacation. And if you feel that way, you especially need to join us for this series. But in this series, we're going to be talking about finances. We're going to talk about uh, our finances and our money and wealth becoming an idol and how we can protect ourselves from that. What, what does Jesus say about you and your money? What does Jesus say about you as you're beginning your career and starting to make money if you're a young adult? How does he want you to approach this thing and, and this very, very important, powerful thing in your life? How does God want us to see it? That's starting next week. And um, by the way, this was Pastor Jonathan's idea. It wasn't my idea. And so I believe God is going to move, and it's going to be powerful, and I want to invite you guys to that. It's going to be really, really challenging. We've been talking through how we're going to talk about this stuff, and it's going to be really challenging. I'm just warning you guys. It's going to be like in your face. It's going to be really, really good. So uh, with that, I want to invite you guys to pray with me as I begin to share my story with you. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for um, this amazing community and all the people here and people watching online. And uh, we're so blessed, Lord, to be in this place, and I just ask, God, that you be present, that you use me, Father, and that this would not be really my story, but your story. You name me pray. Amen. Um, so I think the first thing that you guys need to know about kind of my testimony is that uh, I never considered ministry as a career option. Um, it's not that I said no. No one was like, hey, you should be a pastor, and I like laughed in their face. It wasn't like that, which some people have done to me, uh, by the way. Um, but it was just like, it was just never an option. I never considered it. It wasn't, I wasn't against it, but it just wasn't a thing on my radar. Like, I would never, I never even thought about doing ministry. I had very different ideas. You know, like, the first thing, my first career aspiration was in art. You know, the first thing I wanted to do was be a, a comic book artist. And then I wanted to go into design. I wanted to go to art school, you know, that kind of stuff. I never once considered, really considered, considered ministry. Um, now, that's kind of the, the, the backdrop, right? Like, that's the kind of overarching thing that you need to know. Um, and in my life, I have about three testimonies, and I'm not going to share all three of them. I'm going to kind of go mainly one, and I'm going to kind of glance over one, and then kind of do the other one a little bit, all right? Um, when I was growing up, I grew up in Southern California in the Los Angeles area, 
And um, I grew up in a, a great home, great family. Um, I, I did go to church ever since I was like a baby, right? But my mom was the first, uh, first Adventist, first Christian kind of in our families. Uh, my mom's whole side back in Korea, all Buddhist and, and kind of doing that thing. Uh, I think my dad's side, like some Christian, um, you know, uh, Presbyterian Christian, but like it wasn't really a thing for my families. But my mom was the first, so like first generation Adventist, and so I grew up in that home. I did grow up going to church, um, but I guess what, what I want you guys to know is that as I was growing up, the biggest problem or the things that I struggled with is I struggled uh, with self-esteem. I had very, very low self-esteem growing up in, in middle school and high school. Like if you were to tell me that one day you'd be preaching in front of people and leading a church, I, I wouldn't believe you because I, did, I had no self-confidence growing up. Um, during my middle school years especially. And what it really came down to, it, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like crazy, but it had to do with like how I looked, you know, like my physical appearance. As many of you guys know, that can really affect your self-confidence. Um, but it wasn't, just, it wasn't just my physical appearance and what I looked like, but it was like my personality as well. So like basically everything about me was like, what's wrong with you, you know? Like you look weird and you act weird and you think weird, you know? And so I grew up in this state of just like low self-esteem, low self-confidence, didn't really feel like I could really do anything. Um, and and what I, the way I want you to understand what this is like, if you are in this place, like I feel for you because living a life of Low self-esteem and low self-confidence is basically like living constantly in a state of discouragement. You know, like if you did something and you failed, imagine that's 24-7 how you feel all the time. Like that's how I lived my life when I was like 12, 13 years old. I just like constantly felt, lived in this state of discouragement. And, you know, in middle school and high school, I don't know if it's like this now for those of you guys who are in that age, but when I was growing up, like you don't really talk about that. Right, if your friends roast you and it hurts your feelings, you don't go like, hey man, that really hurt my feelings. Because they're gonna roast you more if you do that. Right, so, so growing up in this time, in this place, being that person, um, I felt, yes, number one, in a constant state of discouragement, but I didn't feel like I could tell anyone. Like I, I couldn't tell my friends, I couldn't tell my parents, I couldn't tell my family, so I was alone, which made it worse. Like you live alone in a constant state of discouragement. And it was because of how I looked. Uh, it was because of like, the way my body changed, and I didn't like who I saw. When I looked at myself in the mirror, I didn't like it. Uh, when when I, I, I was a very clumsy person, um, I, I tripped and fell, and I'd spill things and drop things, and like, you know, people would make fun of me and all that kind of stuff. My overall performance, like, I wasn't really smart. I didn't do super well in school. I did fine. But like I wasn't like a high achieving, my friends were smarter than me, I was just kind of middle of the road, you know, that kind of thing. And, and all of that led to, like within my friend group, my very close friend group, which is, which are fr who are friends I still see today, uh, we've been friends for like 30 years pretty much now, it's pretty amazing. But during that time, and I don't think they meant to, or maybe they did, but at that time, I was like the one person in our friend group that everyone made fun of you know like you're like the one guy like you can make fun of Chris like there's so many like it's like shooting fish in a barrel man like there's so many things to work with to roast you man you know so I was that kid so like every single one of my friends they would make fun of me and then you know I would laugh at it, laugh about it I'm like oh ha ha yeah that's really funny ha 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 but deep inside right like I was hurt and I didn't like it and I couldn't say anything about it so like this was me in my formative years my 
11, 12, 13 years old. And so like I was saying, it led to me feeling very bad about myself all the time. Um, low self-esteem, low self-confidence. And I've shared this story before, but for some of you guys, this is new. Like, this is the best way to, to understand who I was at the time. Uh, we would play basketball, and I wasn't awesome, but I wasn't terrible. But, but you know, back in, that, back in that time, the way we would choose teams was you would shoot baskets for teams. So if you made it and you were the first five to make a basket, you'd be on the first five. If you didn't make it, you'd be on the second five, right? So this is what I would do. I would get the basketball, and I distinctly Remember this moment, I got the basketball, I looked at the hoop, and I dribbled, and I got ready to shoot, and in my mind, all I could hear was, you can't make this shot. You can't make this. You can't make this. That's all I heard. It was so, so loud in my mind, you can't make this. So I took the shot, and guess what happened? I didn't make it, right? And that happened constantly. That's kind of like what was running through my mind as I was growing up. So, um, this is not a great place to be as a 13-year-old, and so you, you want to you seek validation in some way, right? So you want to figure out a way where you don't like to feel bad like this, you don't like to be that guy, so i got to do something about it. And so I began to seek validation or confidence or something or approval or, or admiration or respect, whatever you call it, from all kinds of places. And what I really landed on was like, okay, well, I am I'm going to just like be really good at school. And then people will, like, stop making fun of me, and then I'll prove to myself that I, like, can do stuff, and, you know, I'll have more confidence, and, and, and people will compliment me, and people will respect me. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to study really hard and get really, really, do really, really well in school and have really good grades. The problem was, was I'm not that smart. I'm not that smart. And so, like, I had a friend, and you know these people, and they're so annoying, right, where you study all night. And that person's like, oh, man, I fell asleep and I was only 30 minutes. And then you take the test, and what happens? And they get a better grade than you? You know those people? Ugh, I hate those people. If you're one of those people, okay, anyway, I, I just don't tell me about that kind of stuff. Um, but I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek validation and acceptance through performance. I'm going to work really hard in school. And, and you really couldn't tell that this is what I was going through, because, like, my, 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 my general demeanor was similar. Like, I was kind of a happy, low-go-lucky, high-energy kid, but deep inside, like, this is what I'm struggling with all throughout middle school and early part of high school. But what happened was, as I began to seek validation and approval and, and, and whatever from these different areas, those areas of my life became super, super important. Right, like that became my life. So school became so important to me because if I failed in school, then I was a failure. And all my, my identity, everything, my confidence was all riding on how, I, how well I would do in school. And so I began to like really double down on school. And what happened was, give me, let me give you an example. So when I was in eighth grade, in my school district, if you were, um, you could test into the higher maths. Right? If, you were, if, you were, if you were really smart, by eighth grade, you were in geometry. That was like the smartest of the smartest kids. Um, in, uh, in seventh grade, you would take algebra. In eighth grade, you'd take geometry, and you'd be two years ahead of the normal, you know, the normal crowd. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to get into this, but I know I'm not that smart, but maybe I can do the next level. So eighth grade, you get into algebra. So I tested in, and I made it into algebra. So I was very, very happy. I was excited. You know, yes, I can do this. And so I go into algebra, and throughout the, the class, I start doing pretty poorly in algebra. I start, like, getting bad grades on algebra tests and, and that kind of stuff. And the teacher takes me aside one day, 
And she says, Chris, you have to bring your grades up or I'm going to drop you. I'm going to kick you out of this class and you have to go to the, the, the regular math that everyone else is in. And like, I don't know, in this moment, I don't know if you're like, so what? That's not a big deal. In that moment, I was devastated. Right? It's like eighth grade algebra, like big deal. But I was devastated because of what this meant for me and what this meant to me and what this meant for how I felt about myself. And I remember leaving that class, going to break, going to a corner of the school outside and sobbing at eighth grade because I couldn't cut it in algebra. This happened again in sophomore year of high school. Um, same kind of situation, you could test into English honors, right? And I, I tested into English honors sophomore year. And if you were in English honors, then you were on track to go to AP English in junior year and then AP English in senior. And this is where all the smart kids were. And so I tested into sophomore year English honors. And, um, oh, I realized my mom might be watching and there's going to be something that happened that I never told her about. <laughs> Oh, no, my mom's in Hawaii right now. Okay, okay, she's right now, she's right now watching. Okay, okay, good. So sophomore year, I get into English honors, and I'm writing papers, and I'm trying to do really well and that kind of stuff. And then, again, the same thing happens like it happened in algebra. I start not doing very well, start not doing well in my essays. My, my teacher's, like, tearing up my essay red marks everywhere. Like, what? Three, three question marks, you know? What are you saying here? That kind of stuff. And again, he comes to me and he says, this time it was different. It wasn't, Chris, you need to bring up your grades or we're going to drop you. It was, he brought me to the, to the side and he said, Chris, we're dropping you. Just like that. Starting next term, you're not in English honors anymore. We're kicking you out of this class. Now, when they do this, when they do this, they send a letter home to your parents to let the parents know that you've been dropped from English honors. And so what I did was every day after that, I went to the mailbox every afternoon. That's not there. Next day. And then I found the letter. I ripped it up and I threw it in the trash before my parents could see it. Confession. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Sorry, mom. Um, but like I would do, I, I did that. And I remember thinking like, what am I doing? Like that's bad. You know, you're lying to your parents, you're, you're hiding from your parents, these people love you, but I was so wrapped up in this. It wasn't just about the grades, it was about like how I felt about myself. It, was, it led me to do things that I'm not proud of because I was wrapped up in this. And so this is how I lived for a long time. And I got so stressed out with school. I got so stressed out with every test, every bad grade, everything. Like, like at the age of 15, I'm not even kidding, like I started growing white hair at the age of 15, 16 years old, because it was, it was so, so painful for me in these moments. Because if I failed in school, then I was a failure. And when I looked at myself in the mirror, that's all I could see. And my, my running monologue was just, you can't, you can't. And so this was tough. You know, you can imagine growing up in your formative years just constantly thinking that you can't really accomplish anything, that you can't really do anything. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speed it up a little bit. But um, everything changed, though, when I was 17 years old. And I've shared this story with you as well. And some of you guys already know where I'm going. Everything changed in seven, when I was age 17. Before I entered my, my junior year, or it have been before my senior year, um, no, it was junior year. Before I entered junior year, everything changed. Um, and it wasn't because I 
I grew taller and better looking because clearly that didn't happen. <laughs> I didn't grow taller. It's not because I, I started doing better in school or I went into sports. It's not because I became popular or anything like that. Um, but, but after the summer of age 17, I was different. I, had, I believed differently about myself. I, I had confidence. My self-esteem started to raise. And, and then with, with my confidence going up and my self-esteem going up, my dependence and reliance on grades and school lessened. And like it wasn't, it was important because it was important for my life, but it wasn't important for my identity anymore. Something changed when I was 17. And what happened when the summer of my, my, my year before junior year, when I turned 17, that summer, what happened is I, I met Jesus for real. And I've told this story many times, but every time I get to this part, it gets really emotional for me. Like I met Jesus. And I had grown up going to church, but it was that year for some reason, maybe all of this kind of combined, I had a moment where Jesus' love, his unconditional love and acceptance for me, it became so real to me. And when I experienced that, when I, when I came to him at that camp meeting uh, when in, in youth at, at, at PUC, and I, I knelt down on my knees and sobbed and prayed, and received his forgiveness and his unconditional love, I stood up a different person. Not because anything changed physically in my life, nothing changed circumstantially in my life. I was the same, similar person, same grades, same all that stuff, but now I knew that I was unconditionally loved. And I know that's something we talk about in church constantly, but when you realize it for real, it changes everything. Like, literally, nothing I can do can change the way you feel about me, God. Like, who I am just on the inside is valuable. That's something I didn't know. I thought my performance and my grades was what made me valuable, and so the better I did, the more valuable I was. But in that moment, Jesus said, no, you're just my child, and that's why you are precious to me. When I realized that, I realized that all that stuff didn't matter anymore. I'm, I'm not what I do. I'm not what people say I am. I'm not what people roast me for. I'm who Jesus says I am. And that's it. Period. End of story. And so that, that la the last year of high school, the last few years of high school was completely different. I walked in life with joy and peace because I was no longer striving for acceptance because I was fully accepted. And I was like, this is, this is amazing. And I'm so grateful for that, that, that time when I, when I experienced God's unconditional love. And, and as I look back on my story, one of the things that I want to share that I realized is that who you are in Christ is one of the most important things that you can discover in your life. Right? Like there's, there's very important things that you got to figure out in life, but who you are in Jesus is one of the most important things that you can figure out. And, and I don't know what process you're going through. I don't know if you figured it out. I don't know if you struggled to figure it out. I don't, I don't know if like that's something you need to go back to, but to have confidence in knowing who you are in Jesus, and, and, and maybe you can reject that. Like you can understand it and say, no, I'd rather be something else, and that's up to you, but you at least you owe it to yourself to go before Jesus and ask him to show you who you are. 
You owe it to yourself, man. So just like have a moment to discover who you are, your identity. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago at the end of our series about identity and all that kind of stuff. But, but I am a product. I'm a product. Who I am, my life right now is a product of that moment when Jesus showed me who I was. And so I want to encourage you to take the steps, take whatever it takes, do whatever it takes to discover who you are in Christ. It'll, it could change everything in your life. It did for me, and that's why I'm sharing that with you. Right? Who you are, it, it's, it, it's an amazing moment because what you are, what you begin to do is you begin to live in a place where you are no longer seeking the approval of anybody else. Right? Like imagine a life where you are no longer seeking the approval or favor of anyone around you, but you are completely satisfied because you've received the favor and acceptance of your heavenly father. Like that's a crazy place to be. Like you care about what other people think in, in a certain way, and it's important, but what God thinks and what Jesus said about you is far more important than anything anyone else says. There is a freedom there that is unlike any other. Right? Think about how much we do because of other people, because of what other people will think. We do so many things because we're worried about what other people think. Imagine a life where that's no longer an issue. Doesn't that sound beautiful and freeing and liberating? That's what Jesus does. That's one of the things Jesus does. Love, his, his unconditional love changes people, changed me. And from then on, I've had, I have peace. I was content. And I think what was so special about this moment, I realized that it gave me a looser grip on life. Like all the things of this world, I began to just hold it a lot looser. It was like, it's not that it's not important, but, but it, doesn't, it doesn't change me if I fail or succeed or do whatever. And so it was so powerful for me. And I had to be in that place in order to discover my purpose in life. You know, and, and I think that's an important thing that we need to wrestle with, the, the relationship between who you are and why you're here. Who you are and why you're here. And, and I'm not really sure about the order, but for me, I had to understand who I was in order to understand what God wanted me to do in my life, for me to discover my purpose. So after this, and this is kind of the new part for those of you guys who were at First Friday. After this, I, I, I graduated from high school didn't do that well. I did fine. But somehow, um, I made it to my dream school. And my dream school was not Pacific Union College, okay? It was not. My dream school was UC San Diego, University of California, San Diego. It was my dream school. Like, it, it was, I was told that when you go to UC San Diego, the beach is across the street, and you can take your book and a chair and study at the beach. It's amazing. There's amazing Mexican food everywhere, carne asada fries, you know, fish tacos. Oh, perfect, right? That was my dream. And I got in, and I remember jumping for joy when I made it into UC San Diego. I was so, so excited. Now, before I go to college, though, I decided to go on a mission trip during the summer. And uh, I'm going to gloss over this. And this is kind of a whole nother testimony that I could share for a whole nother worship. Maybe I'll do that sometime. But I went on a short-term mission trip for, for eight weeks to Mexico. And the only thing that you need to know about this is that during that time, I made a commitment. I, I, I made a decision. And I said, God, thank you for, for everything, for salvation, for your forgiveness, your love, all that stuff. This summer, while I'm in Mexico, I am going to live for you 100%. 
and I want to see what my life looks like when I have no other obligations, no other distractions, just serve you. I'm going to see what my life looks like. What does my life look like when I don't have my friends around, I don't have school, I don't have a job, I don't have anything, I'm just a missionary, right? What is my life going to be like if I just dedicate 100% to you? And so this, these eight weeks go by, and I've talked about how at the beginning it was terrible. It was like the worst experience of my life. You know, like during that time, I, um, I, this sounds really silly here, but during the first like couple weeks, Something happened, and I thought I lost my salvation. I was like, I'm not saved anymore. I'm like condemned. I'm not going to heaven anymore. And I was like, so bad. And I can talk about it at a different time. But, but things happened and changed, and I got through that summer. And at the end of that summer, I said, okay, if that's what my life looks like when I live for Jesus, I want to live the rest of my life like that. Right? That's what I discovered at the end of that mission trip. So if you're ever kind of searching, go on a mission trip, it could be really, really powerful, can change your life, right? And so I I went to this mission trip and I said, okay, I want to live for Jesus. No matter what I do for my job, whatever, whatever college I go to, I want to live for Jesus 100%. And I was like, okay, how can I do this? What can I do? And so uh, I don't know all the reasons why I thought this, but as I went into UC San Diego, my mind was, okay, I am going to serve God as a physician. I'm going to be a doctor, right? And like many of some of you guys had thought, I'm going to serve God as a doctor. And my, my, specifically, I wanted to like be a pediatrician or family practice. You know, one of the real doctors, David? Not like all the other fake doctors. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to go to San Diego. They have a great medical school. I'm going to go to San Diego. Again, throughout this process, PUC was never even something on my mind. And I was like, I'm going to go to San Diego, go, go do science degree or whatever, get into San Diego Medical School, I'm going to be a physician, boom, that's my life, fantastic. I'm going to serve God, I'm going to heal people, amazing, just like Jesus did. My life is set, right? And so I go to my, I go to, I start school, and uh, I, I go into classes and all this stuff, freshman year, first quarter, and I do fine, right? And I want you to know that this is not a, like, I couldn't cut it, so I changed, that's not what happened, okay? I did fine, I did fine, right? But second quarter, I remember something just was like swirling in my mind, like, why are you doing this? Why, why are you devoting yourself to this? Like, why do you want to be a doctor? Why do you want to be a physician? I was like, well, I want to help people, and I want to serve God, and I want to heal people. And then I felt like God kept saying, really? Is that really what you want, Chris? Is that really why you're doing this? And so, so I went through kind of a season of really a lot of introspection, like looking into myself, looking, like asking God to reveal things about myself, and, and I call it a spirit-led introspection. And so I went through a season where I'm just like praying and asking God to reveal my motives, reveal my heart, like why do I really want to be a physician? And, 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 and I, I discovered that at the end of the day, I was like, these are really bad reasons to dedicate my life to anything. No offense to anybody, right? Like, but for me, in that moment, my motivation for why I did it, God revealed to me, this is wrong. This is not right. You are not doing this for the right reasons. You are doing this for yourself. And then I said, okay, God, like I said to you, I'm going to serve you. So what do you want me to do then? And so he began to show me, and he began to show me who I was. Again, kind of a rediscovering of who I was, what I'm passionate about, what I love, and what I'm good at. And I began to think and pray, and this idea of pastoral ministry popped up into my brain. I was like, what? I was like, well, I do, I do like church. Church has been enjoyable. I, I, and I had good pastors growing up, and, and this is, this is, it was good. But being a pastor, like, I don't, I don't know. 
So I began to pray about it, talk to people, and um, eventually I decided, okay, I'm going to be a pastor. And it was like not dramatic. It was just like, okay, that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to go to change schools. I'm going to finish up my freshman year. I'm going to transfer to PUC where I don't know anybody, and I'm going to be a pastor, I guess. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I made that decision, I was not sure. I was not 100% sure. The big problem was I had to go tell my parents. And so I, I go home one day, and uh, I talk to my mom. So I always start with my mom because she's like the easy one. <laughs> Mom, uh, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. I want to be a pastor. And she's quiet. And then she goes, okay. And I was like, that's it? She's like, okay. I'm like, all right, bye. <laughs> it was like super weird. I'm like, I guess that's it, right? But what I was really worried about was my dad. So um, I've talked about him before. My dad is not like, you know, uh, the, the, the most avid churchgoer. Uh, he, he went occasionally. Um, I wasn't even really sure where he stood in faith, what he believed. And I know he didn't even want, he didn't want me to be a doctor, actually. He wanted me to be, probably what some of you had guessed, dentist, dentist, yeah. He wanted me to be a dentist. And um, I'm like, I got to break the news. Like, I'm not going to be a doctor. And he's like, I'm, he's like thinking probably, oh, he's going to be a dentist. I'm like, no, I'm going to be a pastor, <laughs> you know. My dad, who's like not, not even really sure what he believes, doesn't really go to church. And so I go talk to him. And I tell him, and we have this whole conversation that I don't want, I'm not going to get into. But at the end of it, he tells me, okay, you can go to PUC, you can study theology, okay, you can. And I was like, that's crazy how this happened. Um, but what I found out later is my dad was trying to trick me. He was thinking, okay, Chris is going to go to PUC where I wanted him to go this whole time. Because then he has a fast track into Loma Linda and he's going to go to PUC, study theology, realize it's not for him, change to dentistry, and go to Loma Linda Dental School. He's like, this is totally going to happen. <laughs> All right, don't make plans, right? No, like, don't try to trick God. Don't try to, like, strategize God, man. So he's like, all right, so you can go. You can go, and let's see what happens. And so I go, and then every year I see him getting more and more nervous. Like, he's not changing his mind. Why is he still doing this? And first, uh, second year, third year come. And then it's my, my summer before my senior year. Like, this is it. Like, this is the last chance for me to change my mind. And so he goes real heavy on the, hey, are you sure you should do this? To, like, you shouldn't do this. Uh, do you really want to be a pastor? Da, 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 da. What about dental school? What about dentistry? And I'm like, but I, I studied many years already. He's like, it's okay. Start all over again. It's fine. You can do that. And, and he got like, he went real, real heavy that, that last summer to the point where I began to reconsider. That last summer I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I should be a dentist, you know? Maybe, maybe that's the direction I should go. Maybe, maybe God wanted me to study theology and just like learn the stuff and then be a dentist and then just like help out in the church like so many wonderful people here do, right? You just, a, a lay leader, maybe that's what God wants me to do. And so I began to really consider, maybe God's speaking through my dad, and he's spoken through all kinds of people in my life, for sure he can speak to me through my dad. And then that summer, at the, before the summer ends, I am scheduled and invited to preach at a church in California, in Glendale. Uh, that would, church would eventually become my first ministry. And my dad says to me, hey, I heard you're preaching at the Glendale church. And I was like, Yeah. Yeah, I, I am. And he said, I'm going to come. 
And his exact words is, I'm going to see if you can do this. <laughs> I was like, like, what? I'm like, whoa, 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 you know? I got super nervous, man. I got super nervous as I went to go preach that sermon. I was like, oh my gosh, my dad, I'm like, I'm being auditioned. Like, I don't know, what is this? Like, he's going to evaluate me, and, and if I do a bad job, give a bad sermon, he's going to be like, see, I told you, you shouldn't be a pastor, you should be, do something else. You know, all that's going to happen, I was like so stressed out. I remember praying, and God just said, like, listen, calm down. The goal for this sermon is the goal for every sermon. You're not here to impress your dad. You're here to preach the word. Just preach the word, as you always do. And I was like, all right, all right. So I kind of calmed down, and I preached that sermon, and I saw my dad there. I tried not to look at him during the, during the sermon. And at the end, you know, as, as some churches do, the pastor stands at the end of the hallway and, and people walk down the aisle and shake his hand, you know. And so, like, moment of truth, you know, my dad was walking up and he comes and he, he doesn't shake my hand and he just stands there and he looks at me and he says, where did you learn to do that? Where did you learn to do that? He said, I'm speechless. I've never seen you do anything like this before. I, like, I have no words. That was like, and he didn't say anything good yet. It just said, like, I'm speechless. And I was like, mm. uh, But later, you know, he, he, we talk, we, we meet the next day, and he's like, like, wow, uh, how, did, how did you learn how to do that? Like, how did you know how to, how to work with the translator and the interpreter? How did you know, like, that kind of, like, interplay between you guys? Like, how did you learn to speak like that? Uh, that's, that's insane. And that conversation was ended with, you shouldn't be a dentist. You should be a pastor. And I remember... I was on my way to school to drive up, the long drive up to PUC, and that was the quickest drive I've ever done. It felt so fast because I was so, so happy. Because in that moment, it wasn't just my dad saying, you should be a pastor. It was God telling me, I told you. I have a plan for your life, and you're in it. And then later, I talked to my mom. And then my mom told me, remember, remember the, the, the experience I had with my mom? Like, okay, you can be a pastor, right? I talked to her later, a couple of years later, after I started ministry. And she told me, you know that day, that day you told me that you wanted to be a pastor? I couldn't sleep that night. So I couldn't sleep that night because I was so excited. And she told me something that she never said to me. Okay, keep it together, Chris, come on. She said, I've always wanted you to be a pastor. But I never wanted to tell you because I wanted God to call you, not me. In those moments, I received the confirmation that I was looking for. Not confirmation necessarily that I should be called into ministry, but confirmation that God has a plan for my life. And the confirmation that I'm in his plan. And I want to tell you guys to, to live Life, and, and you know, I, I struggle, and I'm not saying everything's perfect, but to live life in a place where you know and have confidence that you are where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do, it is the best. It is the best way to live, to know that you are in the right place. And every Sabbath, I come here and work with you all. I'm like, man, I am in the right place. This is where God has called me to be, and this is what God has called me to do. 
But I guess what I want to end with kind of lesson with, with this, this part of the story is before I went into uh, ministry, before I went to study theology, I, like I said, I wasn't sure. I was not even close to 100% sure. I was like maybe 60, 65, maybe 70% like, yeah, I think I should be a pastor. But I didn't know. And so that move was a step of faith for me. Like, obviously, it was a step of faith because I didn't know how my parents would react, but it would change the trajectory of my life, and I wasn't sure, but I was like, I think. And, and what I want to leave you guys with this is that discovering your purpose and what you're called for, it's going to take faith. It's going to take a step of faith. Like, I know that we want God to just drop our purpose into our laps, but a lot of times it's going to take a step of faith, a moment where you have to be like, I'm not sure, I think you want me to do this, it's going to make me sacrifice, it's going to cost something, but I'm going to step forward in any because I trust you. See, in those moments, that's when you begin to discover your purpose. So if you have yet to discover your calling or your purpose in life, maybe you haven't been willing to take any steps of faith. But to discover your purpose and your calling, you're going to need to take a step in faith. So as I, as I conclude today, I, I want you to understand that like, this is my journey. And I think if you understand the story, you may understand a little bit more about why I am the way I am. How I, why I see God the way I see God. Why, the way, why I see you and people around me the way I see people around And the way I, I see myself. And the struggles that I have as well. I think are, a lot of them are explained by, by my story and, and where I came from. But, but I have confidence. Not really in myself, but I have confidence that I'm in God's plan. I'm in his hands and he has a plan for my life. And I'm living his plan and I'm so grateful every single day for that. And at the same time, I want you to know God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for you and, and your journey. He has a plan for your family. And he wants you to live in that plan. And I'm just telling you, if you live in that plan, you will not regret it. It will be the best decision that you've ever made. And so that's my story, part of my story. That's my testimony. And I hope that at the very least, this might inspire you to share your testimony with somebody else or maybe share it with, share it with us at church because God is moving powerfully in each other's lives, in our lives, and we got to know about it. So thanks for listening to my story. I hope it challenges you. I hope it was a blessing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, God. As I, every time I think back on this story, I can't feel anything but, being, but humility, God. I don't deserve any of this stuff. Just in my nature, I don't deserve it. In my actions and behavior, I don't, I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your mercy like this. Everything, everything is a bonus. Everything is a plus. Everything is, is grace in my life, God. I recognize that. And all these people in this wonderful church is grace and mercy as well. And I just want to thank you for, for leading me in my life. And at the same time, I want to pray for each person listening and watching, that you would reveal your grace and mercy upon them. If there's anyone struggling with self-confidence and self-esteem, Lord, help them to see how much you love them and the value that you have placed on their life. Help them to experience your acceptance. If there's anyone feeling lost as far as calling and purpose, help them, Lord, to come to you to discover it, not to anyone else. Thank you, God, for hearing us. Thank you, God, for loving us, and thank you for the plan that you have for our lives. Do everything, please do all you can, and let us do all we can to live in it every day. In your name we pray.
Amen.